Welcome to Frontier War Stories. Uh, before I go on any further, I'd like to pay my respects to all Aboriginal people who fought in the Frontier Wars, which began as early as 1788 until the late 1830s. Uh, that's roughly 140 years Aboriginal people continued to fight. I would also like to pay my respects to all uh, the mobs across this beautiful continent. Each episode, I will speak with different Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about research, books, oral histories, um, which document the first 140 years of conflict and resistance. These are uh, these times are the frontier wars, and these are our war stories. Um, in episode seven, I speak with historian and curator Stephen Gaps, the uh, president of the. History, uh, uh, President of History Council of New South Wales and the author of the Sydney Wars Conflict in the Early Colony, 1788 to 1817. Uh, thanks, uh, Stephen, for coming on and just joining us, um, you know, for episode seven of this podcast. Um, you know, like we just said off air uh, just a moment ago, you know, researching these things or even just talking about these things, you actually sort of realise um, not just tactics, but, you know, sort of different you know it's it's been a, a for me personally a wonderful journey to sort of come on this and and learn many different things i'm sure that's the same for you um but just before we get started could you tell us a bit about your interest in terms of wanting to learn about uh the frontier wars yeah sure thanks bowie thanks heaps for asking me on here um and yeah my interest in frontier wars i guess kind of maybe started back um, when I grew up in a Western Sydney place called Blacktown. I was born and there. I kind of used to... Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Mandurah. Yeah, I kind of... Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah right. Um, yeah, I kind of used to wonder why, as a kid, you know, like, why was it called Blacktown? Like, and not many people could really tell me, you know, the local history organisation was the only people that kind of knew, yeah. apart from you know, Aboriginal people, Darug people who were there in the district. Um, but, um, so that kind of got me thinking. And the, like the place, oh, you probably know the road. I used to live on Bungarabi Road. And I'm like, you know, all the other streets were like named after whitefellas. And I'm like, what's this Bungarabi Road all about, you know? And it was just a name. It was just a name that everyone just didn't even question, you know? So, you know, growing up there, I kind of, that's like got my passion for history and also, history of Western Sydney, mm. which was kind of like a lot left out, you know, mm. from the history of the early colonial centre in Sydney. Um, but also, I, I started reading up on that history and even as, even as a teenager or going to like university, like this is a long time ago, this is like, you know, 80s, um, I kind of um, heard about Penway and I was just like, why isn't, Penway and the wars of resistance, like they were obvious to me that were going on around Sydney. Why aren't they so well known? Why does why is why is not that part of our story? You know, so that's really where I started, I suppose. And I, I just as a as I became an historian, um, I kind of I was interested in public history, really, and the history of commemoration of the past, and that kind of obviously connects with Frontier Wars history. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, not just the commemoration of what gets commemorated, but what doesn't get commemorated. Yeah, yeah. It's quite mm -hmm. interesting. I did a lot of, um, well, I did my thesis on 
on um, historical reenactments, and a lot of that was reenactments of Cook and mm -hmm. Philip and 1788, um, or even reenactments of um, explorers like like um, Charles Sturt, um, you know, that were reenacted in the 1950s, you know, and it was all about what heroic white guys were being attached to the national story, you know. Um, but that also meant that it got me interested in the lack of commemoration of the frontier wars, at, you know. So then going back to my, my life in Western Sydney was, um, surely someone's like written a book about the frontier wars in Sydney in the early colony as a, as a mm. period, right? And I'm like, why hasn't anyone done that? So, uh, you know, a few years back, I, I thought, I've been thinking about it for a while and I thought, oh God, it's time, it's time to write this book. But I kept thinking in the back of my mind, surely someone's done this, you know? Um, and even when it came out, I was like, surely I, I must have missed something because so, it was so obvious to me that there was this period of conflict which, which, um, which just, uh, I mean, people don't know about Pemway, but the people that know about this, the conflict in Sydney know mostly only about Pemway. And there's mm. all these other resistance leaders um, that, that, that I was coming across in the Sydney region. Mm. Um, but that was, that was because I was kind of broadening it to include Western Sydney. Mm. Well, like that, so, that was, yeah, well, that, that's an interesting part that you mentioned just sort of in the beginning as well, Western Sydney sort of getting left out of this sort of colonial uh, frontier history as well. Um, you know, because I guess in some parts, Western Sydney was one of the, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it's all some big battlefronts as well for Pemoy. And I guess the further you go, you know, if you're going to go over sort of the Katoomba and whatnot as well, you're getting sort of, you know, towards Wiradjuri country and, and Windradine's battle as well over Bathurst. Um, so that part of Sydney, you know, I guess once the colony sort of got in, in and set up in and around the Sydney area, and I guess obviously, you know, the battles would have been pushed out further uh, anyway as well. And something interesting when I spoke to Ray um, Kirkov, he mentioned, um, and, 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 and obviously this sort of made sense as well. He goes, back then there, there would have been more, you know, warriors, you know, because of, you know, obviously having more, um, uh, you know, the population of Aboriginal people compared to, uh, you know, non-Aboriginal people and the settlers in these times as well, you know. Um, and that sort of goes back to what you just said as well, not necessarily knowing about other people other than just Pemaway as well. Mm -hmm. and, and when you talk about Western Sydney, I mean, I kind of, I kind of extend it to the fringes, you know, because as you know, Sydney's like, you know, this this plain, the Cumberland Plain, bounded by the the Deerubin River, Hawkesbury and Nepean River, um, but it's that's 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 a that's a modern construct of Western Sydney, um, you know. Our, our ideas of Sydney, our boundaries of Sydney are completely different to what were going on uh, in 1788, you know. So when you consider that and try and think about, um, for example, one of the things I try and write about in the book is how, it, and you probably know, everyone probably knows the school story of the, the three explorers crossing the Blue Mountains, right? And it wasn't until 1813 when they successfully, apparently, you know, there was a few comics who, where before them, but across the Blue Mountains, right? And the, and the mountains have been seen in our history, our, our non-Indigenous history, as this impassable barrier, right? But in my book, I kept finding, in my research, I kept finding um, 
reference, like European references to Aboriginal people getting really annoyed that they kept running into the mountains as a place of safety and retreat. And it totally flips your thinking about the impassable barrier of the Blue Mountains to one, mm. you know, and one that I talk about is one settler described it as, you know, it's quite annoying this, this, this Blue Mountains <laughs> and, and the rugged terrain around mm. Sydney because it's an advantageous <coughs> retreating ground for these warriors who were just raiding on the fringes of the Cumberland Plain because that was nice and flat. That was where they were grinding crops to survive. Mm. But these, these guys, these warriors on the, on the fringes, especially, especially after Pemway, from like, you know, early 1800s up to 1817, they, had, they, could, they could attack and retreat from the mountains and the rugged, um, not just the mountains, like down to the south too, down mm. towards what, where is Appen and that it's quite rugged terrain around there too. Um, and the Battle of Razorback, you know, in 1816, that was, that was an Aboriginal victory in open battle that people just don't hear about. Um, but that was, a, that was a victory in battle. And that was one of the, that was another reason that I got quite interested in writing these, these stories up into a conflict about the Sydney region. Mm. Um, because there's these, there's these great battles and raids that when you think about them, the numbers involved and, and, and what happens, mm. and when you try and um, understand the guerrilla warfare that was occurring, yeah. it's significant. It's, mm. It was really important. It was a real threat to the colony, even in Macquarie's time in the 1810s. Mm. Can, it, can, can yeah. we just sort of, um, I want to have a chat about, is it Razorback you said? Yeah, Razorback. Uh, we'll have a chat about that in a minute, but uh, your book um, sort of, you know, is dated from 1788, um, you know, for the next, I guess, 100, you know, uh, next <clears throat> 100 or so years, the conflict within and around the Sydney area. Um, and just to sort of give context to uh, the listeners as well. Um, so, you know, 1788 is a very pivotal time, not just for the colony, but for Aboriginal people, uh, because eight years prior, uh, you know, Cook, you know, um, sailed the east coast of Australia uh, and proclaimed, you know, uh, the east coast of Australia a British colony. You know, so then we see, you know, we fast forward 17 years, uh, sorry, uh, eight years. Um, um, and after 18, Philip... 18. Oh, so, so, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. It's early in the morning, it's all right. Yeah, yeah that's it, sorry. Um, <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, Arthur Philip comes, you know, with... Um, I think it was 11 ships, convicts, um, I'm sure soldiers or, you know, um, and they're setting up the colony. H how, when does uh, the fighting start um, from, you know, when yeah. uh, Philip lands? <clears throat> yes, that's a, that's a good point. And, and I noticed that you also said um, resistance war start in 1788. And, and people ask me that, why did I, why did mm. I start? I, I started in 1788. Why didn't I start in 1770? Mm. There was conflict. There was yeah. there was shooting, and even before that, where there was you know with the Dutch, uh, yeah, up in the North North West, there, mm. there was conflict. Should that be counted as part of um, you know the resistance wars? Look, I, I, I'm not sure. It, maybe it should, but um, you know it really kicks off in 1788. That's the invasion. That's mm. that's you know all the other stuff before. You could argue that's not part of the the occupation and the colonization, mm. which needed an invasion. So that's kind of, I guess, why um, I, think it, you, I think you're right. It, it, the resistance warfare really kicks mm. off 
1788. One of the one of the things I found was um, I think a lot of historians have done that period. There's, there's been so much written about that period. So mm. many bloody history books. That was one of the reasons why I'm going, my God, you know, why hasn't this been covered so well before? Mm. There's so much history written about this period, this early period, 1788, 1790s, as a period of um, encounter and, cult and cross-cultural understanding, right? And misunderstanding. And I'm like, yeah, but there was also actual out and out killing and um, what looks to me like resistance warfare. Yeah, the, some of the early stuff was probably a lot of cultural misunderstanding in 1788. You got two lots of people coming into Sydney Cove, to Sydney Harbour, and trying to understand each other. Sure, there's going to be misunderstanding. Mm. But if one of the things I did was look closely at one of, one of the journals, um, Lieutenant Bradley, um, and he actually marks on, on an early map the first Europeans who were killed by Aboriginal people um, in resistance, they're confirmed to be killed. And he locates it um, on, I don't know if you know, the Bay Run around Sydney Harbour, around, you know, Birch Grove area. Mm -hmm. um, he locates it right there where UTS Rowers Club is, is on his map. He calls it Bloody Points because these two convicts were killed and it was such a bloody death. Um, so he's quite, and that gets erased by his Captain Hunter. Like they changed, they can't call it Bloody Point, they have to call it something else, you know. Mm. So that, that kind of got lost to history, that name Bloody Point, and, and the reasons why it was called Bloody Point. Um, that was misidentified as Rushcutters Bay because it was two comic Rushcutters. They thought, oh, that's where it must have been, you know. So mm. um, finding, finding those, those stories. But the, the thing that Bradley's journal, his log, and his journal bring up is that I went through and, and tried to identify all the instances of what I'd call miscommunication, conflict, and you know, um, neutral engagements or whatever. And you mm. see, you see a pattern slowly build up during that first year of increasing amounts of conflict occurring. Mm. And so by the end of 1788, you've got Aboriginal people around Sydney Harbour not coming into the colony, staying away. And the Europeans going, why? You know, why, why do they come and talk to us? Mm. Um, and then you've got this increasing amount of conflict. So the, the Governor Philip has to go out and order, you know, no one to go outside the colony of Sydney without an armed escort or without firearms. That's the mm. point. At the end of 1788, there's a colony kind of pretty much under siege, you know. So that that got me, you know, really interested in what happens next. And that's mm. 1789. And that's where the smallpox e epidemic hits the Sydney people mm. and decimates the population, decimates the military capacity of the colony. We don't, of, 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 of the Sydney people, we don't know what resistance might have happened if that smallpox plague did not go through Sydney mm. in 1789. Who knows what could have happened? Some of the officers in the first fleet were like, let's go home. This is not a good place. You know, um, we can't farm properly here, but also the people don't seem to want us here. They keep throwing spears and stones and firebrands at us all the time we go around the harbour. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's, um, 
that's what I get in that first year of, of um, uh, occupation of Sydney is a noticeable increase in conflict that then dissipates after the smallpox plague for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. How long that? <clears throat> how long after? I guess that smallpox, the smallpox sort of broke out. Um, you know, were I guess settlers and sort of um, the colonies sort of branching out more. Yeah, it gives. It definitely gives them a breathing space. You know. Yeah. And so by by seventeen ninety one, you've got the second fleet come in, and then there's more. So there's more settlers. There's more soldiers arriving. Um, mm. You know, they're even arming the convicts, if you're well beha- a well-behaved convict, yeah. um, they're, they're escorting soldiers to beef up the military presence outside the co- kind of secured areas with an auxiliary force. Mm. Um, you know, they don't, we, we don't hear about that in the history books about arming convicts to go on expeditions into the interior because they need extra muskets. You know, they need extra firepower. Mm-hmm. So it, it def- and it definitely takes a few years. There's been, there's been, you know, there's been estimates of what the population decimation was and how long it took to come back, but you know, it 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 seems as though um, people further outside the from away from Sydney Harbour were not as affected uh, as mm. badly, um, and. So by the early 1790s, that's when Pemaway starts to lead his um, resistance warfare. But it's really not till 1795 when the settlers start heading out to Windsor, mm-hmm. where co- serious conflict breaks out. And that's where you get like what's been called the Hawkesbury Wars or the Mays Wars in the se- late 1790s. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a period like from, you know, around 1790, to 1795, the Europeans, the colonists, are quite lucky, quite fortunate, because there's no, there's not enough warriors to do anything about their presence, mm-hmm. and that's where they expand out through into Western Sydney, out to Parramatta, out to Windsor. Mm-hmm. So Governor Philip goes to Parramatta with, you know, like 40, 40 red coats, soldiers. It's, it's a, it's, a, and he marches there, and builds a fort. It's the first step in the occupation of the middle of the Durham area of Western Sydney is a military invasion force goes to Parramatta, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> um, and I guess where to sort of, you know, after this sort of, um, you know, they, they set up sort of in, in Western Sydney, um, what happens next? You know, what sort of, <clears throat> cause, Yarnan to, to Ray, uh, Kirkhope and also Libby Connors, um, one of the things that they sort of pointed out as well, well, I guess in Libby's, con- Libby's uh, book, you know, she, she said a lot of the time that, you know, in Dunderley's case, he would sort of, you know, you know, he would say, oh, once you're on my land, that's what I'm going to react. You know, once you hurt my people, you know what I mean? Once my law is broken, um, then we will, then we will react. Um, and, and I'm sure through this, you know, from 1788 to up to now, you know, uh, going out to Sydney, you know what I mean? There would have been instances of resistances as well, but when they actually set this up, what was the reaction from, um, Aboriginal people? 
Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting point to see, like the the, the killing of, of the two rush cutters at, at Bloody Point in in May 1788. Um, it seems to be that they transgressed, you know, local law, and that's why they were they were killed and punished, right? Mm. Um, it's possible they stole some some Nawi, some canoes, um, but is that resistance warfare? You know, mm. um, or punish or just you, punishment? You know, yeah, or just punishment. And um, but what you do see in the Sydney region is you, you see see in the Battle of Parramatta where Pemulwuy marches upon Parramatta with a, with at least a hundred warriors. We, you know, it's really unclear from historical information from the written information that, that doesn't exist. There's not much about it, but um, when he marches on Parramatta, the town, there's a small town, Parramatta, he marches on them in, in, with a hundred warriors, at least, we don't know exactly, um, in 1797. And it's not, that's not um, punishment. That's, 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 in my mind, that's an attack mm. and mm. A, de a declaration of war in effect, you know, so yeah. I think, you know, in some cases, um, we, it, it, it's obviously transgression of law and punishment, but mixed up with resistance warfare. In other cases, you know, like at Appen, in, in, mm. by 1814, 1816, you know, um, Darawal people, Dari people are actually saying in English to the settlers, we're going to kill all the white men. Like yeah. it's a statement in English to the settlers. We're going to we're going to murder all the white men. We're going to kill all the white men before us. And and it's basically saying, you know, this is obvious. You can't say it's anything but resistance war. You know. Mm, mm, mm. Um. So I guess is this getting up to the eighteen hundreds now, around this time, or is it just past yet? Yeah. By by eighteen, so there's a there was a bit of a after Pemway's resistance, right? so when they, they, they managed to capture, well, to kill and murder, ambush, it seems, Pemway and kill him and cut off his head uh, and send it to England. Um, that's 1802. There's a bit of a lull because, like, you know, they've lost their, their, their leader. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also there's heaps more population coming in, Europeans' population that's really in Sydney. It's, it's hard to lead any fight back. So the conflict goes around to the to the um, to the Blue Mountains to the west and mm -hmm. and up in the, around the Hawkesbury as well mm -hmm. uh, in the early 1800s, uh, but but particularly down to the south with Gunungurra and Darawal people mm -hmm. um, beginning to fight back. Now by 18 by Macquarie comes in 1810. Mm -hmm. uh, Penway's son Tedbury leads a, a kind of resistance which is which is classic guerrilla warfare. It's almost like He's a bushranger inside Sydney um, with a tight band of warriors doing different raids inside the perimeter of the colony, you know. Um, but he gets, he also gets killed um, mm. in 1810. So Macquarie comes in um, with a different regiment, different, you know, there's the, there's the overthrow of the governor and all that stuff. But Macquarie's got a very different... Um, He's a military man. He's the first military army governor. He's got a very different outlook on the military situation of the colony than previous governors. Um, there's also, it seems as though in the early 1810s, there was a drought. 
So there's a lot of pressure on people who were still living outside the kind of the colony, I suppose you call it, that had taken over the Cumberland Basin. Um, and, and by 1813, 14, there's a lot of conflict on the edges where settlers are growing grain along the riverbank of the Dirabin River and the Pean Hawkesbury. Mm. And some settlers are giving grain to Aboriginal people who come in, um, you know, and, it's, and it kind of works as an exchange. And, and when a drought hits, some settlers are giving that grain and they tell them to, to piss off, you know. Mm. Um, leads to conflict, growing conflict, particularly around that southwest region. Mm. So by 18, and that happened, that, it really breaks out in 1814 to 1816. And then in 1816, Governor Macquarie, um, at the same time, they've crossed the Blue Mountains and, and Macquarie has gone over in 1815 into Wiradjuri land and said, man, this is good country. We have to occupy it and take this land. Mm. Um, so in 1815, they've established the little tiny township of Bathurst, right? Meanwhile, in 1816, there's a tax close to the centre of the colony in the south. Mm. Macquarie says, we can't have this. We can't have a thin, you know, um, line of road across the Blue Mountains to Bathurst while we're being attacked um, close to Sydney, you know, we need to, we need to, um, so Macquarie does it, Macquarie sends out a massive campaign for the colony at that time, massive campaign, 70 soldiers in three columns, mm. right around the Western Sydney region to stop all the resistance that's occurring. So he can, he can um, secure the whole of Western Sydney. Mm. Um, and that, that campaign ends in the Appen Massacre. Well, first of all, it's partly in response to the battle at Razorback, where mm. a militia force is, 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 is um, brought out. There's, they've got a couple of soldiers. There's about 40 guys, scratch force of local settlers, a few armed convicts. They haven't got enough firearms. And they go off after um, these, these warriors have killed some, some convict shepherds. They go off to try and punish them. And they come under attack. They, try, they, they're, um, uh, they meet these warriors in, in a fort basically like a, a, a rocky outcrop and they get showered with spears and stones and the warriors know very well about the use of firearms and they're ducking down behind rocks mm. when they fire and then jumping up and throwing spears yeah. at them and they completely rout, send these guys running, like running back to, to the nearest settlement. So that, that's a, um, a, a victory in battle. Mm. They don't follow it up. But after that, Macquarie says, we can't have this. We, we can't have this. And he sends this massive military campaign right around the fringes there. And they don't really find, they have a couple of Aboriginal guides and they don't really find mm. that many uh, warriors, right? But where they do, they, the only way they can, uh, I think they can find the warriors is by sneaking up on them. And so the dawn raid is... is it's kind of, um, well, it kind of had been invented earlier in the 1790s, but the only way to, because Aboriginal people knew the terrain, um, really skilled warriors, right? Um, the only way the, the, the soldiers, the redcoats, not just redcoats, the settlers and the soldiers, mm. we always think of it as redcoats, but it's like the militia forces as well. Yeah. The only the way they found they could actually get up and come up against Aboriginal warriors was to spring up 
at the at you know close to dawn when they were at their weakest. Mm, so mm. that happened, that happens, and they come across Canabagal's camp, uh, Captain Wallace, and they just open fire and massacre. Yeah, 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 at yeah. least at least fourteen it happened. Mm, massacred. Mm. Uh, um yeah, definitely like like that would be um yeah, yeah, you know, I guess for them, one of the ideal ways to sort of do it is to spring up. Um, I know, I, I don't know if it's in Callum's book, um, but I, I remember yarning to him years ago when he was finding some records and stuff about the conflict um, in his country and how the settlers would stuff um, logs with like gunpowder and, you know, and wait for them, you know, to finish a ceremony or to begin a ceremony, then, you know, just start opening uh, our fire as well. Um, I guess in sort of this part of the conversation as well, uh, and I'm sure, you know, through your, um, through, through the research for the book, um, you would have found the many different tactics that Aboriginal people would have used, um, you know, guerrilla warfare, um, you know, to, to, to fight settlers, to fight the militia, uh, the redcoats. Um, you, you just mentioned, yeah, sometimes they would, you know, hide, you know, they, would time, uh, they would time the guns uh, and then attack. Um, you know, they, they would use the Blue Mountains as you know, an escape point in a haven, you know, after doing some raids as well. What else have you, uh, have you found as well? Yeah, one of, the, one of the most interesting things that I found, I think, that there's quite a few instances of tactics of using terrain, definitely, using like what the settlers describe as rocky outcrops, you know, mm. as defensive positions um, and, and using communication, using river networks as well. Um, there's quite a few... Uh, instances, and, and I'm sure Ray would have would have told you about most of the different communication networks. But um, one of the things that we tend to forget, and it's always we, we think of warfare between the Europeans and Aboriginal people as spear versus musket. Mm. Actually, I was surprised to find examples of Darug warriors picking up and using muskets and knowing how to use firearms, right? And this is common in other frontier wars conflicts as well, um, right through the 1800s. Um, but I think it's probably, it's not well known because I don't know, you know, we don't like to think that the Aboriginal people did that or something, but um, it's, it, it's also, I think, not as well known because as soon as, the Europeans heard that some Aboriginal people might have got some muskets. They came down in force mm -hmm. because they knew that that was a significant shift in mm. their their superiority of, of technology and firearms. Mm. I, I remember. So, sorry. Yeah, go on. Uh, I remember talking to Ray, and obviously the period of time we were talking about with Maltagara would have been over a hundred years later. You know when they started to settle. Yep. What now? What was New South Wales still the northern part of New South Wales? But what, what now is known as Queensland, um, and the, the resistance, um, ha, you know, has been intensifying for quite some time to the point where. You know, at the time as well, um, the, the the Maori wars were going on. Um, so, you know, I think maybe at, at some point Australia may have been used as sort of 
um, a post for uh, postage, post spot for military and ammunition uh, to send over uh, to New Zealand, you know, uh, to give to the British troops. Um, and he was saying that it got that the wars here got that intensified that they had to sort of hold hold up on sending ammunition and soldiers uh, to New Zealand as well. Um, and and is this sort of you know obviously that you know I'm talking about a hundred years later, but you know the intensifying. Um, tactics and you know like you just said you know aboriginal people started picking up weapons as well so you know th there was a period of time where you know the governors and soldiers were actually saying hey wait a minute you know like this is not going to be a walk in the park you know for us to take over this uh to occupy one to occupy parts of the land but then to eventually take over mm -hmm. it, it's complicated and i think there's a lot of work um historians like ray are doing and callum and angus in particular um, are doing that will I think will bring out a lot of the complexities because you it, while we call it frontier wars they're all different local circumstances you know mm -hmm. different terrain different different people different experience of colonization you know mm -hmm. you know some some settlers come in hard some some are not so bad you know like this there's very different um, experiences like in Bathurst um, in the first Wiradjuri War of Resistance, that doesn't start for seven years of, of, of settlers coming in, you mm -hmm. know? So, you know, why was that so? That's one of the things I'm looking at now in, in, the, in the next book is, is, is why did it take at least seven years of settlement before it broke out into massive resistance warfare? Um, so it's all, there's all different circumstances in different places, but there are mm, mm. a lot of commonalities as well. And I think <clears throat> bigger studies such as um, Angus's is doing about, about tactics and strategy will help to understand. Mm, um, mm. Because the, the other thing about taking firearms is if once you take firearms, you're pretty much, um, you're pretty much, you know, giving up your opportunity to engage with the settlement, the colony again, like you become outside the pale of the colony because mm. um, they they come down hard on on anyone like bushrangers and Aboriginal people. So that's mm. the other interesting thing about Sydney was that um, Aboriginal people were teaming up with Irish escaped convicts who had firearms, um, and that was a real threat to the early governors. They said this cannot happen. You know, we <laughs> that would be. With, with warriors at, combined with just a handful mm. of escaped convicts with, with muskets would mm. be a force that we couldn't deal with, you know? Mm. So the governors were constantly riding home for more soldiers in the 1790s, more soldiers and more muskets. Mm. And they would, they would ride home for a third. Macquarie, even Macquarie was continuing in the 1810s, the practice of requesting a thousand muskets, firearms, for, mm. for use by settlers and convicts, mm, like mm. for a militia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the context, the context is, is, is interesting. And in, in Sydney, there's one, one example where um, the, these guys, these warriors in, out on the western banks, western side of the Deribbon, out past Penrith Way, um, near Mulgoa, I don't know if you, you might know it, but... Um, mm -hmm. They um, they raided property and these 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 convicts who were go, who were stationed there go after them and there's five of them and they they arm themselves with firearms 
and they get ambushed by these warriors with spears who tell them to drop the muskets. They pick up the muskets and then start shooting the, the, the convicts who came after them. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, like they just pick them up and use the, use the firearms. The other thing about firearms too is, is that they're kind of pointless when you're trying to conduct a guerrilla warfare if you haven't got the supply of ammunition and powder. Mm. So they're kind of like, yep, we could... Sometimes it would, in, and in that case at Mongol, I'm sure it was a, like one one use only. Like let's chuck away now, um, because we don't have constant supplies of of powder and, and shot. So mm. kind of useful, but also useless. And you don't want the authorities, the colonial authorities, to come down too hard on you. Uh, it's one of the reasons why they probably didn't take up firearms as much as the, as they could have, and they but they showed that they could. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I remember um, um, talking with I um, in the second episode uh, with a brother from the Tasmanian um, Museum. He was mentioning um, you know Tasmania being so isolated from the mainland, you know that their the, the, the weapons and their spears were sort of you know had to sort of adapt to their terrain and you know they were much longer they were like six feet long in some instances um he mentioned a, a really amazing tactic that uh they used was um when when settlers would um capture them they'll drop the spear to the ground <clears throat> or actually they'll hide the spear between their toes and you know drag it forward and you know sort of creep forward and the closer they got the lower the gun went <clears throat> and once the gun was you know as low they'd flick it up grab it and then throw the spear as well um you, you just sort of see like or you hear and you read like amazing tactics you know like we mentioned um uh before the different terrains that people were using as well um <clears throat> was there much discussion and and sort of um talk about um signal firing because I, I i remember um speaking with some of the Aboriginal mob who work down uh, in Sydney at the National Museum. And I, and I know this year they were going to do some stuff around um, Frontier Wars, you know, this year being 250 yeah. years of Cook. They didn't want to focus on Cook, but they wanted to focus on the resistance. And I remember they were saying that they found some early accounts of um, maybe Ewan and some of the other mob towards Sydney um, were doing uh, signal, fire, fire, um, signal firing. Um, as you know, as Cook's ship was going up through your studies, uh, through the period of time that you're working at, or was this much? Uh, was this talked about much? Yeah, look, I haven't, I hadn't found many accounts um, in the Sydney region, um, you know, of of that signal mm. fire communication system. But we know definitely in Cook's, you know, journal, we know um, yeah. that matches with you and accounts and other people's accounts all the way up the coast, there were signal fires. Yeah. And, um, and and Ray, Ray's done some yeah, yeah, Ray, work yeah. about yeah. pulling different, like all around the country, the different uses of yeah. Um, yeah. signal fires. Um, yeah. But in, in Sydney, there's, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons why, there's, there's mention of, of constant um, um, smoke in the Sydney region. Mm. Um, but I don't think many of the early settlers there realised it was a communication thing for a start. Mm. Mm. But also, in that early period, there's um, there's very few records. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not till after 1800 you get lots of accounts mm. and by people who actually note those things down. 
Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit later in the frontiers wars where you've got more colonists, settlers, invaders mm. writing their stuff down and actually noting those things. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But we know, as, as you mentioned, we know Aboriginal people have been talking about it for, you know, carrying those stories down for generations. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the work that I'm doing out in the West, the, the uh, Lands Council people that I've talked to out there, there's a few people I've talked to, um, they've already said that communication um, uh, and taking me to some, to some um, sites, mm. which were uh, communication uh, networks of hills. Um, and that fits with many other nations' use of hills and fires as communication methods. Mm, yeah. mm, deadly, deadly. Um, well, I guess sort of in this back end as well, like we'll sort of focus on the importance of, you know, telling these stories um, now, you know, why they, you know, why it's been why it's been denied for so long, you know, and sort of, I guess, the social impact that that has, you know, um, on people sort of having this disbelief that, you know, Aboriginal people never fought <clears throat> um, or just gave up as well, um, mm. you know, um, yeah, because that, like that frontier, you know, um, uh, yeah, the frontier period is is a very long time, you know. Um, <clears throat> the first 140 years, you know, um, of this country, you know, in different parts, in different times, you know, there were wars, you know, that, that were waged. Um, why is that important, you know, um, for you? Like you mentioned yourself, you know, growing up in Western Sydney, you know, you wanted to know why Blacktown was named Blacktown and why some of the streets had, you know, First Nations names. Um, but as a, I guess, as a historian, sort of giving this sort of information to the broader public, why is that important? Having this available? Yeah, it's. it's I mean, there's, there's so many reasons. <coughs> um, it's. It, it's about you know, as an historian, it's our responsibility to 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 tell the truth mm. and not to not to ignore those histories and not to ignore Aboriginal people's voices that have been ignored for so long, you know, that's, it, that's one, I think that's, um, you know, it's like the, it's like the primary duty responsibility mm. of historians that some have been quite good at in the past, you know, like, mm. like legends like Henry Reynolds, mm. um, but many other historians have kind of avoided that. And in particular, military history, yeah has avoided the frontier mm. wars as part of its 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 story and mm. that has meant that we've just we just listened to the stories of anzacs and and world war ii and other sacred soldiers that we don't talk about that, that you know they're not commemorated at the, at the war memorial you know um mm -hmm. frontier wars history is should be our first military history mm. not mm. our unstudied military history, not even, you know, why, why are we even arguing that it's, it's, it's military history, you know? Mm. <laughs> like, we shouldn't have to be, but we still are. Um, mm. And why, you know, the, so there's a whole lot of reasons why, but, you know, the getting to, getting to some sort of um, recognition, reconciliation and truth telling around that conflict 
but in particular, making it clear that the resistance struggle was incredible, like even more incredible, I think, than many other resistance struggles around the world because um, of what they were facing. You know, this incredible genocidal colonization movement. Because mm. if you rose up, it was potentially, it potentially meant uh, massacre. Mm. Mm. So I think, you know, getting across that really heroic nature of, of indigenous resistance in this country is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And I guess just to sort of wrap up as well, um, the, the term sort of um, guerrilla warfare, you know, um, gets you know, thrown around as well. Um, and, and, you know, lots of historians have sort of said, you know, the, the tactics that Aboriginal people have used, you know, can be described as guerrilla warfare tactics as well. Um, could you just, in, I guess, in finishing, just sort of speak to that as well and, you know, um, and, and through, you know, your studies and your, and, uh, and your findings, like, you know, how, how significant, you know, those tactics were um, in one, in some instances to prevent, you know, the colony um, from, you know, uh, taking parts of their land in these different times as well. How significant was that, you know, th- th- those tactics that they used? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing about guerrilla warfare is that um, a lot of people go, oh, it's not real warfare, you know? It's like, it's not stand-up uh, fight, you know, battle lines warfare. But, you know, we've seen it in recent times. In the guerrilla warfare is really, really effective. It can, it can kick out the might of, of Russia out of Afghanistan. It can kick out, you know, it can, um, you know, it's, it's, it's arguably the most effective form of warfare because you, it's, it's so much harder to combat. Um, and it, what they call asymmetrical warfare, you know, and who, who's the enemy inside, inside um, the colony? You never know who the enemy is. It's way more psychologically mm. terrifying than having a boundary line that so the enemy is over there and we're here. Mm. Um, just on that, like that was one of the amazing things when I was yarning to to Libby and also uh, Ray is like at this time, you know, there were no sort of uh, descriptions on what these warriors looked like. You know, um, if they didn't have relationships with other black people, Aboriginal people at the time, who obviously knew how to identify and, you know, could, you know, obviously knew who, who these figures were, then, you know, to these settlers, there was just, you know, there was this terrifying, you know, figure that in some, in some places stood over six feet tall and, you know, um, you know, could be, you know, just over there and, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought that yeah. was amazing as well. You know what I mean? It was just sort of this, you know, um, mystical, you know, that there were in, in some instances like these figures of, of mystery, you know, who, who wielded so much power um, and threat, I guess, in, in those times as well. Yeah, yeah. And it was a combined, there's a lot of admiration for people like Pemway, you know, mm. um, admiration from the settlers but at the same time he had to be killed mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah um well you know we, we might as well wrap up i know uh you have a busy um 
busy time ahead of your plan, but I just want to you know, say thanks for joining us um, on this podcast as well. It means a lot, you know, for you to make some time uh, to come on here, um, have these yarns, continue, you know, this amazing conversation and the series, um, you know, because what yourself and many other people in the positions that you are in is, uh, is doing something amazing, you know what I mean? Um, is definitely combating a narrative that was started, you know, in 1770, <clears throat> in 1788, that's has sort of carried on today, you know, um, the way that they, you know, treated Aboriginal people, spoke about Aboriginal people, has sort of justified, you know, the continuing treatment of Aboriginal people. So, you know, it's great to sort of highlight, you know, uh, this, this side of history because, you know, Aboriginal people, we know about massacres, you know, we know, you know, we've experienced massacres, we've experienced these um, his policies and, and these legislations that have, you know, disempowered and, and dispossessed us. But, you know, to know that um, while those things were happening, you know, uh, we had amazing, you know, Aboriginal warriors, men and women all over this country that fought and, and held the front line and resisted and, and, and literally gave their life, you know, for many of us to be here today um, and, you know, to share these stories and to tell these stories is an amazing thing, you know, so that, that's what I, tr- I want to do with this podcast is get, you know, uh, people who, who are willing to sort of, you know, tell the truth. So, you know, thank you for joining us uh, on Frontier War Stories. No, thank you, Bowie. Pleasure, pleasure.